0: What's up, everybody, and welcome into to our Saturday podcast. I'm Jonathan Hood. Hope that you're going to have a great weekend wherever you are listening to me from. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. We always about to give you a little something on Saturdays to get your weekend started. What an interesting week on Cap and J. Hood. And if you've missed this show, you're missing a lot. I hope that you're checking me out with David Kaplan Every morning between 7 and 10 on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Now here this morning at 7.35 on a Saturday morning as I get ready for my college show with Chris and Adam. It's reflecting back on a really solid show that Cap and I had on the 25th of September on Friday. And that's talking to brand new head coach for the Chicago Bulls, Billy Donovan. I love the idea that Billy Donovan is the next head coach for the Chicago Bulls. And the reason why is because, man, it's so good for the Bulls to be able to get someone that many teams would covet. You know, Indiana's looking for a head coach. Houston's looking for a head coach. Philadelphia's looking for a head coach. But Billy Donovan chose Chicago after his five years with Oklahoma City, coaching so many stars. Yeah, they didn't get to the championship. But the one thing we do know about the NBA, it's about dynasties. You know, a lot of people criticize the NBA because the trophy gets stuck in one city for two, three, four years. Well, the reason why that is is because it's about dynasties. Once someone gets hot, it's hard to knock that team off. And I think that the chase for the championship is more intriguing than just the playoffs. Uh, more intriguing sometimes in the regular season. So, you know, Billy Donovan had a lot of talented players that came and went. His story is different than most. And uh, for those that missed that conversation with Billy Donovan that uh, Cap and I had, we'll replay that at the end of this um, podcast. So check it out. Billy Donovan with uh, Cap and I he has a lot of interesting thoughts about his time in Oklahoma City and what he could do for the Chicago Bulls. So, Hope you get a chance to stick around in this podcast and hear that uh, toward the end of this. I don't know, Junior Mama used to say, the song you're hearing right now, when I got in the car this morning to get coffee, this was on. And I'm like, I haven't heard this in a while. Mama used to say, that's one of my jams from Junior. Download that. It's fun. It's a fun song. As always, I uh, appreciate your support of the shows that I've been doing, the podcast I've been doing uh, for Those of you that are not aware, I do a pro-wrestling podcast. I've been doing a pro-wrestling show for quite a while now. It's called Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Google or ESPN Chicago, you could find Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, uh, Road Warrior Animal. For those that are not even into wrestling, I'm sure you've heard of the Road Warriors. right? Um, And so one of the Road Warriors passed away. We did a special podcast for that and other... Uh, wrestling content is on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. That's on the ESPN Chicago app and also on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, other places where you can find Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. As I mentioned, I really appreciate your support. I got a letter. You know, I don't get letters very often. But this guy, I won't say his name, but a guy emailed me and said this. He says, um, let's see if I can find it here, the old inbox. The guy says, loved the comedy on the show today with Cap on Harold's Chicken and an outing to Ravinia. I hope that this did not bring any repercussions based on the current state of things. I'm a white man in my mid-50s and I grew up on, in from the south suburbs. I spent a lot of time traveling Stony Island, attending high school events. The Chicago neighborhoods are... What give the city character? People need to appreciate them for what they are. I taught my kids to understand their surroundings and act accordingly. People need to laugh more and not take things so seriously. Good stuff and thanks for keeping it real and best of luck on the new show. And I appreciate that email. And my response to that email that I received on Wednesday, the 23rd of September was, is that we attempt to utilize satire and lighthearted moments primarily based on the current state of things in our world and that many people struggle. And I just think that if we can provide a chuckle or as a diversion from everyday troubles, we've succeeded as a show. And I truly believe that. That was my response to the email that I received. And I always feel that way. Whether when I was working weeknights, doing Under the Hood, or working with David Kaplan, man, we've got to be able to create a diversion. There's a lot of people going through issues. Some great, some small, some in between. But I just think that even with this podcast, if I can get you off, you you know, you thinking about something else, while I talk to you about sports or things that are on my mind? That's what I'm here for. This is why we're in this business: is because we want to be able to inform, entertain, and hopefully, whatever you're going through, I can get your mind off of whatever issues that you might be going through, your family's going through. Because I, that's how I look at it. Now, I don't, I can't speak for other hosts. I can't speak for other shows, other stations, and how they go about their business. Some are just there to just because they got a vent. Some Because I've been around it for almost 30 years now, right? Some people just have to talk because they are going through gambling issues, sports gambling issues. So they just want to go off on teams because their gambling debt has gone way through the roof, taking it personal on coaches and players because uh, their 10-team parlay didn't go through. Or just being indifferent not talking sports on a sports format. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why that we do this. I know the reason why I do it. The reason why I do it is because it's cathartic for me as a sports fan to be able to just get off my chest the things that I think are interesting about sports in general. And also, me talking sports with you and you interacting with me, it's great for me. And hopefully it's great for you as far as us being in this department store this uh the sports department of this department store and just staying in the sports department for the most part we there will be diversions from time to time of us talking about other things but primarily for my shows they've been in the sports department and um that's how i look at things when it comes to um what i do for a living so i just hope that you know, for those that are offended, I, I couldn't care less. I, I mean, I could give two shits about someone being offended. My, my whole thing for 2020 now is hashtag be offended. I'm going to say some things that's going to offend you. And that's just from my sports commentary. You're offended, be offended. I don't care. Doesn't matter. You know that from my heart to your ears, I'm not trying to offend you on purpose. But if you're offended, be offended. I don't care. I, the one thing that I've always said is that whether it's your opinion about sports or my opinion about sports, I can't be offended by your sports take. It's a sports take. (laughs) It's like we're talking about, we're arguing entertainment or Seinfeld would say, we're just arguing about laundry, people's jerseys. So, you know, I'm not offended. It's your, if, if our opinions differ, we can talk it out civilly. And if we can't, you know, F all the way off. I don't have time for it. We got to keep it moving. Cannot dwell, right? Cannot dwell on it. So that's, that's how I always look at things. Um, so I'm glad that uh, you're with me. So um, I saw that uh, a number of athletes, whether it's NBA players, NFL players, Major League Baseball players, took to social media to give their heartfelt thoughts about the Brianna Taylor case in Louisville, Kentucky. This has been ongoing for a while and I've been reading a lot about it and I was braced for what the verdict was going to be as far as how the Louisville police officers would be charged. And again, I'm not going to go chapter and verse in the Breonna Taylor case. You can read that for yourself, but you know, it's, it happened on March 13th, Louisville police officers executing a search warrant, used a battering ram to enter the apartment of Ms. Taylor looking for someone, they didn't find the right person, and Brianna Taylor gets shot. And the boyfriend that she was in the same complex with shot a police officer in the leg, and Brianna Taylor was dead instantly. Uh, there actually, there was no care for her after she uh, was shot so many times. Um, There was care for the police officer, but no care for her just based on the stories uh, that I read, multiple stories regarding this incident here and this death, this killing of Breonna Taylor. And you can see a lot of athletes talking about this and are really touched by this story. And it is interesting today to see athletes speak out on issues other than their own sport, Because to a certain generation, this generation, this happened in the 60s, this happened in various times throughout my lifetime. There are certain people that will speak out on these issues when they see wrong, speaking out truth to power. And when I see stories like this, and it's up to a to a judge, it's uh, up to people to decide what the charges are when they know all the evidence, they have the preponderance of the evidence, they have everything in front of them, all the facts, but yet justice the way many of us see it never comes to fruition. It never happens that way. And my favorite thing, and I say favorite not meaning really not my favorite, but my the thing that resonates the most is when you have facts of a case and there will be those that say no 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 even though that's the facts well what about this case and, and what about this guy and what about this guy it's almost the butterfly effect that's on purpose for some that when you see something that is absolutely wrong people turn a blind eye to it and try to give you the old well wait that was that yeah that happened but 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 what about this over here and what about this incident? What about this 10 years ago? What about this two years? What about the case of Breonna Taylor? That's, that's, that's my quote-unquote favorite thing that people love to do. Is the nonsense of saying, oh, yeah, Breonna Taylor died and there's facts, but we don't know if that's really happened, even though people will tell you the facts. When, it's, when you actually have facts in front of you, people will turn a blind eye to it and say, well, no, no, well, 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 look over here. Uh, look over there. It's so unbelievable. It's an unjust killing. And it is not uncommon. When you're an African-American person, it doesn't mean that your head has to be on a swivel 24 hours a day. But you are aware that these stories pop up on your social media almost weekly. And if you dig hard enough, you'll see it every other day. It's nothing that you're looking for. Who wants to see trauma and violence? Who wants to see police officers abuse their uh, power by doing things that they're not supposed to do? Who wants to see that on their Instagram? Who wants to see that on their TikTok? But it happens, and what happens is, is that when you see these videos. There are some, and the one thing that's really the worst is when people are extreme. Extreme on one side, extreme on the other side, and no middle ground. The extremes stop our society from having a middle ground. One side will say, oh, for sure, police officers, all police do not care about people, citizens, especially those of color. This police in general don't care about that. And then the other side says that, well, we should always take care of our police and citizens uh, be damned. As long as the police are taken care of, that's, it, there, you have to have a middle ground. And to me, the problem in our society is that we don't communicate anymore. As much as it's cool for me to have a podcast and be able to text and Facebook and, or FaceTime people, the technology that we have here in our society is cool, but that has broken down the lines of communication. The, the, you know, just the videos and the tweets and all this other stuff, we, we don't communicate anymore. The more we have technology, the less we actually communicate and try to learn about one another. You don't learn about someone through a screen. You learn through dialogue and conversation. And so, make, to me, as a Gen Xer, maybe that makes me old school. But to me, I still believe in the art of communication so we can learn one another you'd be surprised at the conversations that David Kaplan and I have about social issues and the similarities and differences we have in that we are learning from one another based on our conversations. Sometimes our conversations before the show are even more interesting than on the show, but we are learning about one another because we are from two different backgrounds. I you know i I live in South shore. I'm a South sider. All right. And so I'm learning from Cap from where his background was and what his family background was. He's learning about mine. So, but that's the art of communication. We're not texting these stories back. We're not guessing and saying that he, I'm black, he's Jewish. So we have to have these, we cast aspersions on one another. No, it's not how that works. We learn about one another. And for those that don't communicate, those are the ones that you're like, okay. You know, if you don't want to talk and you don't want to learn how we can get better better and be able to come together, then you get what you deserve, right? You've, I'd rather be able to talk to someone, learn about someone, than to someone just send out a tweet thinking that they know, but really don't. And so that's, that's where we are. But just, getting, just putting a bow on this is that I'm glad athletes are being able to speak out on things that they feel are unjust, you see, the thing is, is that if you um, had never grown up with someone like Brianna Taylor, who was an EMT that was on the rise, that was a good citizen based on everything that we read, if you're not privy to stories like Brianna Taylor, or if you have no empathy for stories like this, then you know turn a blind eye to it. Just keep it, keep it moving. But there's others that will replace you in that regard. If you don't think that what happened in Louisville was wrong, or some, or if not even this case, other cases in which you see the empirical evidence, videos, actual facts of the case, and you say, uh, eh, next case, okay, cool. But you can't shit on it like, well, yes, I see it, but it doesn't matter. This is why people march. It's <laughs> why people protest. It's because... For those that are indifferent or those that think that it's a waste of time or a waste of, of um, energy from people that feel that they are being set aside, that they feel like they're not important, that they feel like their lives don't matter. If that doesn't relate to you, fine, get out of the way. And allow people that feel like, hey, I just want equality. I want to be able to walk with you instead of behind you. If you don't feel that way, then just move out of the way. But to denounce it or pretend like it doesn't matter or saying that all lives matter and police lives matter and horses lives matter. Yeah, everybody matters. But when you see cases like Breonna Taylor and you see cases that we have seen from time to time across this country, in our city of Chicago and other places. This is why people march. It's why people rally, because they just want equality. And there's nothing wrong with trying to learn about one another, be next to your brother and sister instead of being ahead of them or behind them. Be with them. I'll just speak for myself. I have nothing against you as a listener. I don't know who you are, but I'm not, I have nothing against you. You might be a different ethnic, ethnic background than me. You might be different religious beliefs than me, but I'm not against you. Why would I be? And that's not liberal or conservative, by the way. That's just human, <laughs> right? It's not, well, if since I'm conservative, I have to only, live, only be around people that are like-minded. No, that's stupid. I'm I'm a liberal and I, I I'm going to vote liberal though in my entire life. I'm not going to learn about anyone else because the other side's evil. Well, that's stupid. It's dumb. So I want to learn about people. And if you're not interested in me, then I'm not interested in you and I'll just keep it moving. The point is though, is that it's about equality. It's about how everyone can be able to be together and learn from one another and grow together. That's what I see. Maybe that sounds... Too much like Pleasantville or or uh, something that is not reachable in our society, but that's how I look at things. How? Why would I be against you because you're different than me? Think about that. I didn't grow up with you or I didn't grow up where you grew up and we have different uh, backgrounds or different economic backgrounds. Why, why would that matter? As long as we are good to one another, we can grow together. But hey. Everyone's not the same like that, but that's how I I see things. I've always felt that way. So, you know, that's just something that's really strange to me. Okay, so speaking of that, so Malika Andrews, who was covering the Bulls beat for a while, and now, I mean, she is just blowing it up on ESPN as a reporter for ESPN. She's been in the bubble uh, in Orlando covering the NBA, the last of the regular season into the playoffs. And of course, in that bubble, there's been a lot of conversations about Breonna Taylor. And of course, um, the Kentucky Grand Jury indicting one of the three police officers involved in the Brianna Taylor case. Uh, no officers were charged directly for their role in Taylor's death. And so that's Uh, been a bono contention with a number of people. LeBron James and others are are speaking out about it. So Malika Andrews is on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt. And I got a chance to know Malika a little bit while she was here in Chicago. She's been on the show, the show I used to do uh, a number of times where she was covering the NBA. And I'm just happy for her success. Um, Homegirl is is killing it on ESPN. I'm proud of what she's been able to accomplish so far in her career. Uh, she, (laughs) She... was on Sports Center. She had her mask on, and she was just trying to relay what some of the players' uh, reaction was to the ruling in the Brianna Taylor case, and then this happened.
1: And we've talked before, Scott, about how my job here is is to objectively cover the truth, um, and and to share what these players are going through. And today what they're going through is is that they're hurting and i have prided myself in being able to be objective and cover these sorts of issues but when it is so clear that the system of objectivity in journalism is so whitewashed and doesn't account for the fact that when i am walking up the hill my wonderful producer melinda reminds me that briona taylor was 26 and i am 25 and that could have been me it is very hard to continue to go to work and that's what these players were feeling now players on both sides they said that they didn't contemplate not actually playing in this game they always knew that was something that they were going to do but that doesn't mean that they were not disappointed in what happened today in louisville
2: Bleaky, you got a ton of people that care about you. Your family first and foremost, but your ESPN family too, and you're doing incredible work. But you, but make sure that you got you're reaching out to the people that can help, and including us. When we're done with this, we're just working, but you know we got your back always. So anything we can do, when this segment ends and this show ends, you reach out and we got you. Okay.
1: Thank you, Scott. I appreciate you having me on.
0: So some thoughts there from. Uh... Malik Andrews, the key quote there was, that could have been me, and it is true. Could have been anyone in that situation uh, that was gunned down unnecessarily at the hands of police. COVID-19, still a big story uh, in sports. Looks like baseball, looking at the numbers, baseball has turned things around you know, early on. I didn't know if baseball was going to get shut down. We talked about that a lot with the Marlins, the Cardinals, and other teams had to postpone because of COVID-19. But now in football, college football, a little bit of a difference because we're talking about student-athletes that um, you expect to go to school, go to their dorms, go to practice, and rinse and repeat. But that's not for everybody. And so the Notre Dame Fighting Irish their game against Wake Forest, I believe, was uh, canceled on the 26th of September, uh, today as we record this. And so, um, Chris Black, Adam Dollong, yours truly, will still do Chicago's College Tailgate. It'll be from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. If you missed the show live, you can catch the podcast. Uh, go to ESPN 1000CCT or. Go to the Bleck and Abdallah page uh, on the ESPN Chicago app. You can hear our podcast. We love doing our college football show because all three of us love college football, the pageantry of college football. So you can check that out. But uh, COVID nineteen, when it comes to college campuses, let's keep our eyes on this and see how this is, if see if this is sustainable or not. You see, almost in the Mountain West is going to come back. The Pac twelve coming back. Here comes the Big Ten. Let's see if the s- football players can stay healthy. Uh, And that there's not an outbreak on these teams. We're tempting fate every time we see a sport uh, with this outbreak, with this COVID-19 pandemic uh, happening. Uh, So we'll keep our eyes on that. As I mentioned before, we got a chance to talk to Billy Donovan, the new head coach for the Chicago Bulls. David Kaplan and I got a chance to sit down with the new Bulls head coach. Really interesting conversation. Listen to his answers. His answers really ring a lot of bells in my mind as someone that matters in the position. It's one thing to just hire a coach. The Bulls could have just did what they normally do, just get like a first-year coach, an assistant, you know, just to get just to get have a guy. Uh, Bulls didn't get a guy this time. They got the number one free agent choice for head coaches in the NBA. They got Billy Donovan. There are a lot of qualified young assistants that are ready to step in there. Uh, But I think it's good for the Bulls to go to the top shelf and get the best person available. A number of other jobs that Billy Donovan could have taken, but he took the Bulls job. Let's go back in time on Friday on the 25th uh, when David and I got a chance to talk to the new Bulls head coach, Billy Donovan.
3: new morning show follow on instagram at cap j hood
4: this is espn 1000 chicago's home for sports watch
2: this show on twitch twitch.tv forward slash espn 1000 chicago with hoodie on cap so i was at this station and then left for 20 years and then came back the first time I was here, one of my most famous interviews I did was with Rick Patino How did I get Rick Patino to come on the show? How? His assistant, Billy Donovan, who I got to know when he was an assistant coach, got Rick to call in on the show, and so a few weeks ago when it... We learned, oh, my God, he's not going to be back in Oklahoma City. What did you and I start screaming? Our tourists get in that Jets card, get on that damn play with Mark Eversley and get to that guy's house. This is a no-brainer. And they sold the Bulls to Billy Donovan. He's our guy now. He's our coach. He's on our show. Billy, congratulations. Can't begin to tell
4: you how exciting it is to have
2: you here in our city.
4: Well, thanks, Cap. I'm, I'm really, really excited. And uh, it's been obviously a, a whirlwind the last week, but um... – you know, I met a lot of great people, and um, the experience was wonderful. So I'm, I'm very excited.
0: Billy, tell us about the process with Arturs Karnachovis and and Eversley because they come in and it feels fresh for the Chicago Bulls organization. What was it like meeting them and the conversation you had with them? Well, I, I think I mentioned this yesterday in the
4: press conference. You know, I when when things finished up at OKC. Um, my family was back in Florida because right when the, the coronavirus hit, they were actually leaving to go on spring break. My wife was coming back here to see my daughter with my, my two youngest children. And then when school got canceled for them, they just kind of stayed there. And I kind of came back and visited them a little bit. And then I went back to Oklahoma because there was obviously a lot of talk. we were going to go into a bubble, potentially maybe Las Vegas or Orlando. And you know we were we, we went to the bubble, and then I came back, and I think right after the Labor Day weekend, you know I, I talked to OKC, and then I ended up driving back from you know Oklahoma to to Florida, and you know I didn't really know it was obviously a very very long year with what everybody had to deal with, and then going into the bubble. So you know I got a call that uh, you know Arturs wanted to meet, and he wanted to do it on Friday. And I was like, listen, I ju- I just got back home. I haven't seen my family in like three and a half months. I said. I just spend the weekend with them and they came in on Monday morning at like 9 a.m. And I I really didn't know what to what to think uh, when they came. They didn't really talk to me about anything uh, on the phone other than the fact that they wanted to talk face to face. And, um, you know, when when I when I sat down with them, I didn't know what the future would hold or situations. And, you know, I didn't know if I'd maybe be sitting out for a year or what would happen. I knew I was excited to get back to see my family. Uh, but the first thing Artur said to me, you know, which really kind of hit me between the eyes, he just said, listen, you know, what I'm looking for here is I'm looking for a partnership. You know, I'm looking to work with somebody and work together with somebody to help build back up the team and the organization. And, you know, we're really interested in, in you. And, you know, it started from there. And Artur and I, I think, shared a lot of commonalities in terms of, There's some mutual people we know, and I heard nothing but great things about Arturis. I heard nothing but great things about Mark Eversley. Um, And the conversation progressed over about five and a half hours. And uh, we talked about a variety of different things, you know, from, you know, the team having a blank canvas starting over, you know, trying to build the program, uh, working with the players that are currently there. I know just being in Oklahoma City for five years, they obviously were ravaged with a lot of injuries over the last several years. Um, but it was just, I was just really, really excited because I felt like I could really partner with our and I thought we'd work very, very well together, and, you know, it, it progressed into that, and then we had another phone conversation on Wednesday for an extended period of time just to kind of some follow-up questions, and then on Friday, I I, I was on a, a call with uh, Michael and Jerry Reinstoff, and, you know, there, there's people in this profession, both baseball and, 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 and basketball that I know that, obviously had nothing but great things to say about Jerry and Michael and uh, you know it, it just kind of progressed and it, it just you know at this point in time you know I was really really excited about you know working with someone like our and, and thought it would be a great partnership and, and thought it'd be something that we could really work on together and you know it was just really appreciated you know the way he approached the whole situation and the, and the way he handled everything and and the things that we talked about it was very open it was very honest it was very transparent and I think In any relationship, when you start from that premise, it it always is, is the best way to start because that's where I think trust gets
2: built. I remember watching you play in the 19, I think, 87 Final Four, and I think it was in New Orleans. You're playing for Providence and thinking, okay, that's a pure point guard, and that is the kind of guy that will eventually become a coach. And then you end up working for Coach Patino, and then you become a head coach. You work your way up. You win two championships at Florida. You are a very cerebral guy who understands the way the game has evolved, the way the game should be played. And the thing that jumps out at me watching every Bulls game for the last 20 years is we don't have what I call a four-pass point guard, somebody that he sees everybody on the floor. Yes, he could score and make shots in the new game, but he can get the ball in the area to make everybody else better. Is that a priority to try and get this thing turned
4: at the point guard spot? Yeah, I mean, the one thing was interesting is we played Chicago uh, in the United Center when Kobe White was kind of on that run of getting over 30 or 35 points for five or six games, and he did the same thing to us as well. He played really, really well in that game. You know, I maybe just got done coaching one of the greatest point guards of all time in Chris Paul, and obviously he's a 15-year veteran, but – his IQ, his understanding to the game, his work ethic, uh, the way he studies the game is really remarkable. And I do think in a lot of ways, you know, that's the position, as you've mentioned, that's maybe changed a lot, you know, over the years. Yep. Where it's not that first, you know, set up point guard. You're seeing guards now, point guards now that, that can score, which I think is a positive and a good thing. But I do think those point guards evolve and get better as time goes on because, to your point... They need to learn how to incorporate, make the group better, get the ball to guys in spots where they can be effective. And, you know, I think that's part of development and working with guys. But, you know, even, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook having him for four years, you know, as as explosive and athletic as he is, he had a very, very good feel for the game. and, And he understood, you know, where people were and how to try to get people involved. And he tried to always make the game easy for people around him. You know, his style and Chris Paul's style are totally different, but... Yeah, I think when you're starting off with a point guard that understands that, it's certainly, uh, you know, impactful and helpful. But I also think it's a process to get to that point, too, and it does take time.
0: Coach, when you were on the other side coaching against Fred Hoiberg and and Jim Boylan and you'd come in here or they'd come to you when the Bulls would come in, what was your your thoughts about the Bulls roster when you had to face them? What was the scouting report you had on the Bulls? Yeah, well, I think, you know, last year in particular, I mean, I I thought their their group competed really hard. They played exceptionally well at our place. I mean, they they got us down, I think,
4: midway through the third quarter by 26 points. We were a little bit overwhelmed with how aggressive they were defensively. I think this past season, the Bulls may have been either first or second in the league and forcing turnovers. It took us a lot of time, I thought, in that game to kind of get adjusted to their aggressiveness. Um, I also think, too, that, you know, one of the things, you know, certainly I think Fred had to deal with this, and, and I think Jimmy did as well. You know, they had a lot of injuries to some key players that were out, and, and they were having to use a lot of different combinations of players. So it's so hard when you're playing any two games and you have some of your better players that are not out there on a consistent basis, and I think that makes it tough. But, you know, I, I thought uh, Lowry, uh, Marketing was, you know, terrific his rookie year. I know he battled some injuries. I think, you know, Kobe White came in and, and really evolved as a, as a point guard and as a player and, and went on a, an incredible tear for a period of time there, uh, which was really a bright spot. You know, Zach Levine has always been a hard guy to guard because he really doesn't need a lot of help. If you give him space, he's got the ability to put the ball on the floor and create and can kind of get a shot whenever he wants to. And actually, Wendell Carter, you know, I recruited a little bit when he was younger when I was at Florida. He was maybe a freshman or sophomore. He was out of Atlanta. I went in to watch him. And, you know, you hear about his character and his IQ and, you know, what, what he can do as a player. It was interesting. Somebody, you know, um, after I accepted a job uh, who, who knew Wendell, you know, I kind of compared him from an IQ and, and a character, competitive character standpoint to Al Horford. And I thought that that was obviously a great sign because Al was a tremendous player to coach. So as you look at
2: Chicago, did you watch the last dance and did the last dance in your mind at all go, wow. That's what Chicago can be, because you were here recruiting Antoine Walker and whoever else. How much did the last dance factor into you wanting to take this
4: challenge? I don't know if it was necessarily a factor in taking it. I I thought it was an incredibly well-done series. Um, You know, it certainly takes you back to the greatness of the Bulls during that era. And the one thing about the organization and the Bulls is, you know, what the Bulls organization has meant to the game of basketball what it has meant to the world um you know obviously it's a worldwide brand you know what michael jordan scotty pippen and that group did and phil jackson did you know was really really remarkable and i i think the one thing that stood out to me you know in watching it was was just the competitiveness of that group and the drive by that group and i think that you know they're they're going to go down as the greatest teams to ever play this game and, and certainly that's a almost an impossible standard to live up to but I think the one standard you can live up to is how hard they competed and played and how they tried to work together as a team and that was certainly really positive but you know growing up and and and, and being around during that era and watching some of that stuff and what they did it's really a lot more remarkable when you now in in 2020 look back on those teams to sit there and say they won it six times like I mean it's it's mind-boggling. Yep. You know, I don't know if anything like that will ever happen again because of the parity and things like that. But it was really an incredible, you know, journey
0: for them, and what they did, you know, is, is will probably never be done again. Coach Cap and I were talking about um, how to get players to buy in defensively we were talking about Lou Dort you know it's one thing to follow the fo- follow the basketball when you're watching but when you take a look in granular detail watching that kid Dort or watching uh, Robertson a guy that you coached that I mean it's just amazing how Dort fights through screens a guy that's not willing to just switch and just just to switch so what is your message to get to players and how they can buy in defensively yeah, I think the one thing with Lou, which was really interesting, I'll never forget this. One of my former
4: assistants at uh, Florida is now an assistant coach at Arizona State, and actually, Rashawn Burno, he played at DePaul, so he's yes. in Chicago type. Yeah. yeah. And when 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 we picked up Lou as a free agent. Um, he called me and told me what an unbelievable defender and what a great kid he was, and I'll never forget this conversation. When we sat down and talked, he was obviously a little bit heartbroken because I think his the perception he had was he he was either going to go maybe you know somewhere in the first round, second round, and he went undrafted. And I watched him in the summer when we had summer league and you know around the players. And the one thing I felt about him is he really, really had um, an incredible ability to defend. And I thought he was ready to defend in the NBA. Now he needed to obviously learn the players a little bit more because he didn't have that experience. But in some of my first conversations with him, I just said, listen, the first thing you have to focus on is you are elite defensively and you're not elite offensively yet. And sometimes guys get it backwards. And what they try to do is focus on what they can't do. You just need to be great on defense. Now, You'll get better in terms of making decisions and doing those things, but our team needs this. Now, while he was in the G League, we had a rash with some injuries ourselves to Hamadou Diallo and Terrence Ferguson. We were a little bit short you know, on the perimeter, so we kind of plugged him into a couple games, and he really did a nice job for us. He really, really did a great job, and I give the kid a lot of credit because he had a really, I forget what game it was against Houston in the playoffs, but he really struggled in one game. He was like three for 16, and they were leaving him open. And his ability to bounce back, and I give our players a lot of credit because they were encouraging him to take his open shots because we needed the spacing. But he knew that his job and his role was he had a guard heart. You know, and, and for us to win, he had to do that. So I, I think that the defensive side, is, is always an accountability issue that there's people relying, and you have to rely on each other. Same thing on offense in terms of ball movement and making the extra pass to the open man. I think you've got to be able to defensively rely on each other. And to your point, we kind of, in, in preparation for Houston and guarding James Harden, we did not want anybody else on him but Dort when he was in the game. Now... I think Chris Paul and and, and Dennis Schroeder, those guys certainly were were, were capable and and when they had their chance at him, did did a nice job. But Lou probably was our best defender on him. So when they were kind of running those screens and um, putting him in situations trying to get Lou off of him, we just wanted to make sure we kept that matchup. And to your point, he did a great job fighting over screens and getting through and getting back on the ball, which which was really encouraging. We're
2: talking to Billy Donovan. He is the new head coach of our Chicago Bulls bigger influence on your style of coaching rick patino or frank morris your high school coach
4: who was a legend wow i mean that's that's a great question um you know what was really interesting when i played for frank morris in, in high school he wanted a shot every four seconds mm-hmm. and we probably averaged about 94 points 95 points a game wow that's way and back 40 years ago yeah, with, with no three point line. I mean, it was unbelievable how fast we played. I, I told somebody this when I was in high school, all I had to do was advance pass. I didn't I probably spent half the game in the backcourt because all I did was throw up the floor and someone shot it. But I learned a lot about spacing and uh, you know, assigned lanes and how to fast break correctly. And I kind of walked into a situation at Providence when I went there my first two years. We were really a slowdown team. We weren't talented enough. We had Otis Thorpe at that time, my freshman year. I didn't play a lot. There was a 45 second shot clock. We tried to keep games close and utilize the shot clock. And then I think, you know, when 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 Coach Patino came in, it was somewhat similar to Frank Morris. It was somewhat similar to that kind of style where we pressed and we ran and we got up and down the floor and there was a lot of freedom to shoot and play. And, you know, obviously having the opportunity to play for my high school coach and then Coach Patino, there, there's no question that those guys had a huge impact in, in, in shaping my view of the game. And, you know, even now with all the analytics, the thing that was impressive about Coach Patino, and he had an NBA background coming from the Knicks when he came to Providence to coach, um, he understood without analytics how to utilize the three-point line. And he was so far ahead of his time with that that most of the coaches around the country thought it would ruin the game, and they didn't want to take that shot, and, and he wanted to take 35 of them a game. And you think about it now, like, 35 a game, probably at that point in time, no one ever shot that many. Right Now, like, 35 a game is, like, close to the average. So he was very, very, uh, I, I think, um, a big part of, of, of where the game is at today because
0: I think it's his view on the three-point line. Coach, you must have felt like you were back in college at times with the Thunder because of how often the roster changed for you. How daunting was that to be able to have so many moving parts, some teams with Durant and Westbrook, some with Victor and, and Sabonis, some with Schroeder, some with, uh, with Alexander. How daunting was that for you to not be able to have something set on a regular basis for the Thunder? Yeah, I mean, it was challenging. The, the, the way I tried
4: to view it, and you made a good point. You know, coming from college, you have guys that transfer, guys that go to the NBA, guys that graduate. So your roster turns over quite a bit. Um, I tried to look at it as a great opportunity to grow, you know, as a coach. Because to your point, you're going into the offseason. You've got a whole different set of guys you're playing with. And I was fortunate that all the guys you just mentioned were great guys, great to work with. And they were guys that, you know, I think I tried to put in position to do what they did well. But there's no question. I've always felt like offensively, you know, you can have a a philosophical belief on how the game is played and how you want to get there. But you're going to have to do different things as your personnel changes because every player is different. You know, uh, Chris Paul is totally different than Russell Westbrook. You know, Victor Oladipo is totally different than Lou Dort. You know, Carmelo Anthony was totally different than Jeremy Grant. So different guys have different skill sets and talents and you just try to put those guys in situations. So, you know, what we ran for Kevin Durant my first year and what we ran this year was like totally different because the personnel changes. And I think offensively you got to try to build out on what your personnel looks like.
2: Billy, in terms of lifestyle, you're the head coach at first Marshall, then Florida, you get access to great facilities at Florida. You win two national championships, but as a college coach, if one of your players gets in trouble, you get to call 2 in the morning. One of Coach Donovan's guys did that. It's not the biology professor's student. In the pros, you play more games, but it's, I go to work, I coach my team, I go home, and I'm with my family. Which lifestyle was better suited to Billy Donovan, the ultimate family man with a wife and four kids?
4: Yeah, I think they're really, really a lot different. You know what I mean? And I, I think both of them, both, both of them are very, very demanding uh, in terms of the lifestyle. And what I mean by that is, you know, certainly in college, you're not playing, you know, as many games. But you're also, you know, I remember when I first started coaching, I was on the road 180 days on the road recruiting. Yep, there was 180 days to recruit, you know, so Maybe you're not playing games, you're on the road recruiting, you know, or there's booster functions around the state of Florida that you gotta fly to, to go to, to go speak to people, right? So the season ends, it's not like the season ends in college, you're done. You go right into recruiting and you're going right into a lot of speaking, you know, to boosters and, and supporters of the program. And that is very, very time consuming. The NBA, you know, the, the days are flipped, I've always said. You know, you practice at three o'clock in college, in the NBA you practice at eleven o'clock in the morning. Uh, I would say that there's a lot more free time in terms of in the NBA really focusing on your team because, you know, when practice is over with and guys kind of get out of the facility and it's 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, you really have a lot of time to uh, focus on your team. It's more centr- centrally fo- focused than college. You know, college, you could be preparing for practice, and there's a 3 o'clock practice. You finish practice at 5 o'clock, and you may be in the car driving to Bradenton, Florida, to watch a kid play at 7 o'clock that night you know, or you may end up being on the phone for a while making recruiting phone calls. So, you know, it's just different, you know, in college, you're doing a lot more stuff around practice as it relates to the overall program, where I think college, most of your time in practice is over with, you know, the NBA, you're focusing on your team. And, um, you know, I really, really have enjoyed the NBA. Uh, It's been a great experience. I mean, I love my time in college, but I think as as I've gotten older, you know, I love the game and, and the amount of focus and being basketball all day long all the time has it, always been something that I've always, you know, looked at as being intriguing to me with the NBA and then after experiencing
0: it the last five years, I, I really have enjoyed it. Coach, how important is free agency for a head coach to be influential in free agency in that process with the GM, with the president of basketball operations? Well the one thing in
4: talking to Arturis and Mark, and I, I really appreciate because we had a conversation about both things and I think it's very, very hard in today's day and age in the NBA for a head coach to really, really understand or know the college game. There's so many games in the NBA, you're focusing on your team, and the season ends. You may have a little bit of time to watch some film and and talk and try to you know, gather your thoughts or opinions on a player through film. But generally you have scouting staffs that are basically going around the country, overseas, watching, gathering information on players. I think they're a lot more equipped than I would be as a head coach in terms of the draft, of understanding the draft. Now, Arturis, when I spoke to him and Mark, the one thing I really appreciated was, you know, they wanted me involved in that process. You know, what does the team look like? What does our team need? You know, what kind of uh, not only player but personality would best fit, you know, with this group? So I think that was, you know, something that I would really love to be able to help and to do. But ultimately, our tourists and Mark Eversley are going to be the ones that, you know, are really doing a lot of the legwork and the groundwork for a long period of time. And, you know, I think they'll bring me into that process. I think the free agency part, and and they asked me this specifically, you know, how willing would I be to get on planes or to try to help and, you know, be involved and be active? And and I really would love to do that. I want to help the organization any way I can. So however I can be utilized to help with free agency, I would definitely be more than willing to do that. I think trade deadline situations that, You know, they want my opinion because, you know, when you're in the NBA, you're seeing these guys on a more consistent basis than you are college guys. So, you know, they're the ones that are doing all the homework and the background work, but I I think that in my discussions with Mark and with Arturis, it was more like, hey, listen, we need some help here. We need to partner with you. We want to you know, hear what you have to say. We'd like to watch film with you. We want to talk about players and, and I really appreciated that. You know, that, that part of it was really, really great and, and look forward to trying to help those guys in any way I can.
2: Billy, I know that there's not a ton of salary cap flexibility right now. I know we're in a pandemic. We don't know what the cap could be. Do you think you guys can be somewhat active this off season to upgrade the roster and have a more competitive team and maybe even sneak into the playoffs in year one of your tenure?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the interesting part right now. I mean, Arturis and I did not at all get into anything specific about specific players or what the plan is. I I think Arturis now being there for a few months, I think the fact that, you know, I was a little bit disappointed that I, I couldn't be in Chicago inside the bubble with the group. It's just, you know, with the pandemic and having a quarantine and by the time I got in there, they'd probably be finishing up. So that part is hard. I think Arturis is probably in the gym evaluating and watching guys play and, I think he's a, 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 a player's kind of a guy that, you know, has wants to get to know the guys, spend time with the guys. Uh, I've got to certainly start, you know, here very soon, start to get on the phone with guys just to touch base with them. But I think there'll be some kind of fl- plan, and I'm sure Arturis has worked at that. But we have not really sat down and discussed here's what we're looking to do with the team at this point in time, and here are the moves or things we're looking to do. We we haven't gotten into any of that. I think that's probably a little bit too early, but I, I would say this, that, you know, Arturz and Mark um, are, are going to work extremely hard to continue to build out the team and continually to try to make it more and more competitive. And and, and hopefully, with myself as a coach and the staff, you know, we, we will help, you know, the guys that are in the organization get better and improve and You know, hopefully more importantly, stay healthy because they've had so many injuries over the last couple of years. But, you know, that that would be a a
0: big part of it there. But I, I look forward to those conversations going forward. Was it safe for you and the relationships that you've made that you've had all the support? I know that you probably get a million text messages, but on social media, Coach, whether it's Bradley Beal, Joe Kim Noah, so many others have supported you in this effort with you being the head coach for the Bulls. What does it say for you and the relationships that you've had that you've had so much overwhelming support from the NBA community? no it's
4: great i mean i i the 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 outpour of just friends and different family members and former players texting i i can't keep up with it you know i've obviously been trying to work you know uh remotely with our tourists to, to connect with everybody you know in the bulls organization uh if there's if there's one thing I'd say, i've been so blessed to coach you know so many great players But I think the one thing that fans don't get a chance to see, and, you know, like you mentioned Joe Kim, and he and I spoke the other day for a while. You talk about a guy that loves Chicago and loves his experience there, and, you know, whenever his career finished up, all he talked about with me was, you know, wanting to get involved in the Bulls charity to try to help the city, the community, and and, and charity work. He's just got an unbelievable heart. You know, Brad Beal, people watch him as a player. I mean, just his character and who he is as a person he came into college as a pre-med major. You know, he's extremely bright and gifted and just an unbelievable person. Uh, you know, even Udonis Haslam, you know, hearing from him and, you know, a guy that, you know, one of my first recruits at Florida, I've just, you know, I've had a chance to coach a lot of great players, but I've had a chance to be around even better people. And I think when you have that combination, you, you, you're going to be successful. And I'm certainly grateful for all those guys because, They mean a great deal to me and, you know, appreciate uh, all their support. Last thing for me, Billy, and we're so
2: you know glad to have you on the show and have you in town. Do you realize what you're getting into? Because this sports city is like none other, man. They are provincial and they
4: want to win. And people are so fired up that you're here. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I I understand, um, you know, Chicago is a great city. I've always said this, you know, coming into the NBA, I never... You know, I think maybe one time we played at the United Center when I was at Florida. And, you know, I obviously recruited Chicago, you know, when I was in college. But it's a great city. Everybody raves about the city. Uh, I've always enjoyed coming to Chicago, you know, when we played uh, the Bulls. Um, it's obviously an incredible, iconic organization. And, you know, I want to win as well. So, you know, there's a lot of work ahead of us. I'm excited about getting to work with these guys. And, and hopefully we can continue to grow and build. You know what's there, and, and and hopefully we'll continue to get better as an organization and as a team. Well, thank you for your time. We're looking forward to having you on and looking forward to working
2: with you, and congratulations and welcome to Chicago. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be on with you. All the best. Thanks, Coach. There he is, Billy Thanks. Donovan, the new head coach of the Chicago Bulls hoodie. We'll take a quick break and re- react to this. I'm so excited to hear a guy... Yeah, I want to get on planes and go recruit guys, and I want to be there. And, yes, we're going to be active, and we're going to try and take this thing to the next. I'm so fired up.
0: So great. It's good to hear from Coach Donovan. we got to address a lot of things that he said. I'm really excited about the future for the Bulls with him being here. So that's the conversation that we had with uh, Billy Donovan. A lot of interesting things that he said there. And uh, if you go to the archives of the Cap and J-Hood morning show – podcast go to that feed you can hear some of the reaction uh from there all right as i mentioned every saturday we uh, give you uh chicago's college tailgate if you're a college football fan even if you're not if you're not i hope that you get a chance to support chris black adam Abdullah and yours truly for chicago's college tailgate and if not how about monday monday on the 28th eighth, I'll be team with brian hanley Hanley and I will break down, a hopefully, a Victory Bears Monday against Atlanta. That's going to be tough against a really strong offensive team in Atlanta. Can the Bears put up the kind of numbers the Cowboys did against the Atlanta Falcons? have no idea. All right. I'm going to put another load of wash in and get myself another cup of coffee and get ready for the Saturday morning college show. Thanks so much, as always, for your support. Thanks for checking in to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Talk to you next Saturday with another edition of the Saturday Under the Hood Podcast.